Maine Calling on Demand is made possible in part by Maine Farmland Trust, working with farmers to grow the future of farming and food in Maine. Learn how you can get involved at mainefarmlandtrust.org learn. And by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. Today on Maine Calling, Maine's first ever semi-open presidential primary, what to know. Super Tuesday is one week from today. Maine is one of 16 states holding their presidential primary next Tuesday. This year though, Maine's primary will be a little different. People who are not enrolled in a political party will be able to cast a vote. Also, this presidential primary utilizes ranked choice voting. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Maine Calling, Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows joins us to explain how it all works and answer your election questions. Political scientist Ron Schmidt joins us as well to offer his perspective on the impact of the semi-open primary, Maine's role in Super Tuesday, and how ranked choice voting might affect the candidates. And we'll discuss the popular vote movement and also the new Maine license plate. Maine Calling is just ahead. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. We are just one week away from Super Tuesday, and Maine is one of the states holding presidential primaries that day. We're going to learn how this year is different than years past and discuss other election news. Joining me for this hour, Shanna Bellows, Maine's Secretary of State, and Ron Schmidt, Professor of Political Science at the University of Southern Maine. We invite you to join the conversation. Are you planning to vote in the Super Tuesday primary? Are you an unenrolled voter? And if so, which ballot will you choose? Are you confused about this election? Send us an email, talk at mainepublic.org. Post a comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Welcome back to both of you, and thank you for joining us for the hour. Thank you. Our pleasure. Secretary Bellows, some people might be thinking right now, wait a minute, the primary's next week? I thought it was in June. <laughs> what's next week and what's in June? A week from today, March 5th, Tuesday, March 5th, is Presidential Preference Primary Day. So folks uh, should turn out and vote. It's not too easy, early rather. It is also very easy to get your absentee ballot. Uh, between now and end of day on Thursday for any reason or no reason at all, because of course we have no excuse absentee voting happening right now. And then on Tuesday at your polling location and the list, the complete list of polling locations is on our website. We have an easy voter lookup tool where you type in your address and you can see exactly where you need to go. But on Tuesday, polls will be open and people will be casting their ballots uh, in either the Democratic or Republican primary. And one very exciting thing is this year is the first year of the semi-open primary. That means if you are an unenrolled voter, specifically you're not affiliated with any political party, then when you go to vote, you can choose which ballot you receive. Now, if you're in a party, you can only vote in your party's primary. So Democrats will be voting in the Democratic primary, Republicans will be voting in the Republican primary, but unenrolled voters will have a choice. So if you're an unenrolled voter and you go to the poll polling place, you can say, 
I want a Democratic ballot or I want a Republican ballot? Or do you have to register as a Democrat or Republican to receive that ballot? You don't have to register. You just express your preference. Do you want a Democratic ballot or a Republican ballot? Now, there will be a rec record uh, kept by the clerks. They will check you in and check in which ballot type you received. And there will be a record of that in the voter file. But then in June, which is the statewide primary for congressional candidates and for legislative candidates, if you want to vote in a different primary, you can do so. That will be the choice of unenrolled voters. So I can take uh, next Tuesday, if I were an unenrolled voter, I could take a Republican ballot and choose between Donald Trump or Nikki Haley. But then in the, let's say I'm in the second district or the first district, excuse me. Oh, that's a bad example because Jared Golden's not facing a primary, but you could have a different ballot in each one and no, no strings attached. That's right. If you're unenrolled, you could choose the Democratic primary uh, this coming Tuesday, March 5th. And then in June, if you were really fired up and you were in the second district and wanted to participate in the Republican primary, you could choose that ballot. You'll have that choice. Much better example. Thank you, Secretary Fellows. <laughs> um, Ron Schmidt, you know, we're thinking about this, uh, the role of the unenrolled voter. And I know we're not the only state that has some form of open or semi-open primary. Will it really make a difference for any candidate next Tuesday? Would it theoretically make a difference, for example, Nikki Haley? It could potentially make a difference for Nikki Haley. I mean, she it's difficult right now to imagine a clear path for her to the to the nomination. Uh, but there are other reasons for her to stay in the Republican primary and a strong showing in Maine among um, some Republican voters and some unenrolled voters would certainly work to her benefit. I, I think it's also an important option for unenrolled voters in general. You know, that nationally speaking, about a third of independents tend to almost always vote Democrat and about a third tend to almost always vote Republican. And this is a way for people to still engage in the process, even, uh, even with a party that they feel really particularly aligned with that they don't want to join. And I think that's a very important option that we give voters that not enough states do. Shana, this is the first time we have a semi-open primary. Why did it come about? How, how is this a, the reality today? So this was an initiated bill by Representative Chloe Maximum in the legislature, and she brought it forward, uh, I think, out of an interest in increasing participation in our primary process by people who do not want to affiliate with any party. Now, traditionally, Maine has had very high numbers of unenrolled voters. Uh, this uh, we re did recently see. So Democrats are currently have the highest en enrollment numbers in the state with 343,488 enrollees. Republicans just moved into second with 279,936 uh, folks enrolled. But unenrolled voters are close behind with 273,298. So traditionally, it's been about a third, a third, a third. And there was a desire on the legislature this past with bipartisan support uh, to bring unenrolled voters into the process, especially because this is only the second presidential election in recent times that we're doing a presidential preference primary. And of course, there is the June 11th statewide primary as well. That's right, because before 2020, Maine voters were used to taking part in caucuses and not primaries for the presidential race. Ron, I want to ask you um, about this whole idea of being a strategic voter. What do we see 
what do unenrolled voters do? Do they vote for a candidate that they believe in or do they try to control who the other side, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, the other side um, has as their candidate? Why would an unenrolled voter vote in a primary for um, a candidate for one party or another? And what have we seen in states where this has been um, happening for a while? I heard from from an old friend who lives in Michigan who told me that she actually was voting. Um, she's usually unenrolled and she's voting as a Republican this time because she wanted to support Nikki Haley um, because she's nervous about about Donald Trump's candidacy. And we may see some of that happening. We may also see voters who want the opportunity to vote um, for a candidate that they feel strongly about, even if it's not a party they usually participate in. Um, and we could be seeing some of that as well. Maine, because of ranked choice voting, generally gives voters a chance to register their intensity of preference, um, which which is a big deal. Although the Republicans uh, don't really want to employ that this time, so we'll um, we'll see what that might mean for unenrolled voters. All right, so let's talk about that. That this ballot, some main ballots are ranked choice and some are not. Uh, Secretary Bellows, this ballot will be ranked choice. That's right. The primary ballots are always ranked choice if there are multiple candidates. And right now, um, you can look at check out the sample ballots online on our website, or when you go to vote, there are sample ballots available. But they are ranked choice, uh, both in the Democratic ballot and the Republican ballot. So people can um, rank order their preferences. Now, remember the rules. If on election night, because we have election night counting, all ballots have to be in by the time that the polls close on election day, and then immediately we do the counting. If a candidate gets 50% plus one, that's it. That's the end of the count. It is only if none of the candidates in that particular race uh, fail, if they all fail to meet that 50% threshold, that we then go to the ranked choice voting tabulation. Now, with regards to the parties, uh, they, this is a presidential preference primary, so the state is required to operate the primary by the same rules for both parties, and that's what we do under the presidential primary law. Uh, certainly then, the parties, however, are making choices about their nominees in the convention process in accordance with their own rules. And that's why some folks have asked, why don't we see a no, la no labels primary or a green independent primary or a libertarian primary? And that's because every party gets the option. At the beginning of the year, we ask them, do you want to have a primary, a presidential preference primary? And they tell us whether they do or not. So Democrats and Republicans ask for a presidential preference primary, and that's what we'll be holding on Tuesday. Shanna, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of the program, which is that absentee voting is underway for the presidential primary. How many people have participated? How many ballots are coming in? We are seeing very low turnout, and it may be because the primary has sort of slipped by people. It's end of winter. People aren't really thinking about the election yet, but it is a week from today. And so far, we've seen 14, and we, we post these results on our website frequently. So right now, we're posting these daily. Uh, 14,620 Democrats have participated to date in the presidential preference primary. 8,621 Republicans uh, have cast their absentee ballots and 3,789 unenrolled voters. So we're not seeing a huge level of participation by unenrolled voters. Uh, Democrats uh, are leading the absentee voting at this point in time. 
Ron, might another reason be just apathy about the candidates on the ballot this year? That's possible. Yeah. Um, it, I think if, if voters in either party are feeling unmoved uh, by their likely presidential candidates, they could decide to sit this stage of the election out. Um, and it's really incumbent then on the parties to fire up their voters before the general election, because there's, uh, this race could wind up being fairly narrow. Ashena, just to be clear, the Super Tuesday ballot next Tuesday will have Donald Trump's name on it. That's right. Uh, so Donald Trump's name will be on the ballot. Uh, and again, check out the sample ballot on our website. Uh, the main law uh, does specify that if a candidate withdraws or is disqualified um, or in some tragic circumstances is deceased, then uh, the ballots for that particular candidate are not counted. Um, but at this point in time, Donald Trump's name is on the ballot and we await a Supreme Court decision as to determination about whether those um, would be counted or not. All right. I want to change tax just a little bit. Still talking about elections, but talking about the movement to a national popular vote. Ron, explain this to me and explain uh, where Maine is. Apparently it's before the legislature. What is what is the idea here? Well, the. The way that we usually focus on making changes to the Electoral College is through constitutional amendment, which in the best of circumstances is incredibly hard to do. And right now is pretty much impossible. So the idea behind this is to have states join a pact in which they will um, promise to cast their Electoral College votes for the winner in the national race so that we won't wind up with a situation where the person who loses the popular vote still wins the presidency. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of concern about the the idea that elections may lose legitimacy if we continue to have cases um, where that occurs. We've got, uh, that's happened multiple times in, in this century, which is uh, bizarre. It didn't happen at all in the 20th century. Um, and so it's understandable, especially when the so many questions about the legitimacy of our elections and how they're run are being raised. So if Maine chooses to do this, it'll be part of this multi-state pact uh, to carry out this policy. Part of the agreement is that they will not do it until there are 270, I believe it's 270, electoral college votes that are available to be cast because that will be decisive. So if not enough states vote to get there, then it won't happen. Uh, but if enough states do get there and we do wind up with a situation like what we saw in 2000 or in 2016, uh, then Maine has basically promised to cast its electoral votes in that fashion. All right. Uh, Secretary Bellows, I suspect you don't take a position on whether this is a good idea or bad idea. But is um, is that true? And would Maine be prepared to do that if that were the case? Professor Schmidt explained it perfectly. And uh, when I was a state senator, I certainly supported National Popular Vote Compact as an option uh, to really make sure that the popular vote of the American people is heard. Uh, that being said, our job as election officials is to implement what the legislature passes. And certainly we are prepared uh, to follow the law wherever the law takes us. Uh, I really think that we are very fortunate in our state and that we have very strong election administrators who are adept at making things work. And we've done that for ranked choice voting and, and now for semi-open primaries, I have confidence we can implement whatever the legislature 
moves forward. All right. Well, we are talking about Super Tuesday, Maine's presidential primary and more with Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows and USM political science professor Ron Schmidt. Join the conversation, 1-800-399-3566. Our email address, talk at mainepublic.org, or you can find us on social media. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. We're discussing next Tuesday's semi-open presidential primary. Yes, one week from today with me, political science professor at USM, Ron Schmidt, and Maine Secretary of State, Shenna Bellows. Share your comments and questions. What do you want to know about voting or about the way our elections work? Send an email to talk at mainepublic.org. Comment on Facebook or Instagram or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. We have a few very simple and straightforward email questions coming in. I'm going to start with those. Um, Ellen wants to know, unenrolled voters seem the same as independent. Please explain if they're the same or not. Secretary Bellows. Thank you. Great question. So colloquially, we tend to call unenrolled voters independents, but it's important to differentiate unenrolled voters from members of Maine's Green Independent Party. So we have five recognized political parties in Maine, uh, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Green Independent Party, the No Labels Party, and the Libertarian Party. And so sometimes people think that they're independents, but that's because they've signed up to be a Green Independent. Uh, and if they have, in fact, affiliated with a party, uh, then they are limited to primaries for that party. Now, for a voter who shows up on election day and you think you're an unenrolled, you think of yourself as not affiliated with any party at all, but to your dismay, you realize you may have signed a voter registration card for a party in the past that placed you in one of those five parties. It will be too late to take the primary ballot of your choice. You are limited to your party, but it's not too late for June. So if you find on election day that you were enrolled in a party that you had forgotten about or maybe been um, confused perhaps, uh, you can always change your party, but you can't do same day party changes for purposes of participation. You have to do that in advance. And so it won't be too late to change your party, but you'll be looking at June. And also once you change a party, you have to stay in that party for three months. So if you hastily signed a voter registration card, perhaps over you know, the holiday break in December, maybe you were busy shopping and weren't really paying attention, thought you were signing a petition. If you have enrolled in a party within the last three months, then it is uh, you have to stay in that party for three months. All right. And uh, that you answer Peter's question, how do you unenroll from a party? So you can do that in your at your um, town office. You can do that on voting day at the polling place. Can you also do it online, Secretary Bellows? You'll be able to do it online after primary day. We we did implement online voter registration this year. Now we do shut that down 21 days prior to primary day to give the clerks who are ultimately the registrars, they're managing voter enrollment to give them an opportunity to process those online submissions. Um, and if you choose to do this on election day, you're going to go see the registrar, but it, it won't be effective on ele election day. So it might be better if you're trying to think about doing it for June to wait, go online after primary day or visit your clerk after primary day to reduce the burden on them at the polls at the elections. But if you're short on time, you really want to make that change in advance of the June primary, you could certainly do so. And if you're moving 
and you want to do it at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Of course, one of the things I'm very proud of is having implemented automatic voter registration at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Now, that also has come down temporarily as we approach Election Day, but it goes up shortly after Election Day. All right. Ron Schmidt, a lot of talk about unenrolled voters. How important are unenrolled voters to the presidential candidates? Well, it varies somewhat from state to state, but they're important, especially in elections like we've seen in the last few cycles where outcomes are very, very close. Um, Unenrolled voters may be people who don't feel committed to to the politics at all um, and who aren't really watching and who are unlikely to participate. But there's also a good chance that there are people who feel alienated about what's happening in the process, but who do want to cast a vote. And that means that they are persuadable. Turnout, party turnout is still incredibly important. It, 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 the people who are part of a party need to be engaged. They need to be motivated to be involved. Uh, they're, they're sort of part of a team and they're waiting for that outreach. And they'll be decisive on election day. But the closer an election is, the more important those people who remain sort of outside that two-party process are. And in Maine, they've always been fairly uh, important. As you were saying before, uh, until fairly recently, there were usually more of them than there were of registered Democrats or Republicans in the state. And even registered Democrats and Republicans in Maine have a tendency uh, to respond to appeals to being independent, um, to supporting candidates uh, like like our U.S. senators, Senator um, Collins, has a record as being further to the center than the vast majority of the Republican uh, caucus in the Senate. And, uh, sorry, um, Senator King is is literally an independent, although he caucuses with with the Democrats. Um, So in Maine, that perspective on politics is very important. We'll go to Parks calling from Portland. Hi, Parks, go ahead. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. I wanted to speak to this uh, issue of apathy. Um, Since it does seem that uh, for both parties, the candidates are a foregone conclusion, um, I'd love to suggest to anybody to write in ceasefire. This has been going on throughout the country, and that's my plan, and just encouraging anybody and everybody that's concerned about that to do the same. Okay, so I'm going to ask the very practical and logistical question. Shanna Bellows, if lots of people write ceasefire on their ballot, what happens? So so Maine has a provision under Maine law that any uh, write-in candidate that will be counted has to have filed as an official write-in, has to declare and that was done for very practical reasons um, for, because we have elections administered at just over 500 municipalities, um, requiring those municipalities to count votes for Mickey Mouse or uh, Minnie Mouse uh, and then report those up to the state did not make sense. So at this point in time, uh, uh, one may, of course, for First Amendment, freedom of speech, uh, protest reasons, write in whatever they want in that write in category, um, but it will not actually be counted or tallied um, by the municipalities or by the state. All right. Thank you, Parks, for your call. Um, we'll go to Scott in Lisbon Falls. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. Hi there. 
Yes, I have the, uh, the had the pleasure of running for a house seat uh, a few times, and I was curious uh, about whether or not house seats are connected to ranked choice voting, uh, and also in, in a, and across party lines as well. Um, you know, so if you're independent or a Democrat or Republican. Uh, also, I want to say that I'm very fond of ranked choice voting. I think it, eventually it will actually create an environment where we do have a much more nuanced understanding of who we're voting for rather than the, the better of two worst candidates, uh, which often occurs. So I'd like some comments about both of those things. Scott, um, so I'm going to turn the first part of your question to Shanna. Um, is ranked choice applicable to Maine House and Senate races? I am delighted to receive this question because for residents of South Portland, there is a special election on the ballot in March uh, due to um, the death of my good friend, the late Representative Lois Reckett. So there is a special election to fill her seat, and there are three candidates running for that office, uh, Matthew Beck, Tristan Howard, and Brendan Williams. Uh, Tristan Howard is not enrolled. Brendan Williams is unenrolled. Matthew Beck is a Democrat. Now, voters in South Portland, when they see that House ballot, will see that it is not actually a ranked choice voting ballot. And that is because the Maine Supreme Court has ruled that in state races for the general election, which usually happens in November, ranked choice voting does not apply because of the language in Maine's constitution. So for ranked choice voting to apply in races for governor or the legislature in November, there would have to be a constitutional amendment to amend our language. Uh, but in the primary on June 11th that you will see, see for Maine Senate and Maine House races, party primaries, ranked choice voting does in fact apply. So if there are three or more candidates on the Democratic side or the Republican side for a particular seat in June, on June 11th, then you will see a ranked choice voting ballot. Uh, but the South Portland voters will not see a ranked choice voting ballot because it's a special election. It's not a primary election for that particular race a week from today. Oh boy, it's confusing. Um, and for the second part of Scott's question, I'm going to combine that with an email here from Two Toad Farm. And um, because Scott and the emailer are, are kind of in agreement here. This person writes, ranked choice voting has the most potential to end corruption in this country of any single election form we could utilize. Don't forget that the RNC and DNC are private corporations that have an outsized influence on our democratic elections. Their corrupt chokehold on elections, policies, and national dipl diplomacy is polarizing the American people and just plain sad. Folks need to understand the implications of being able to vote for who they truly want. Worth mentioning that ranked choice voting is utilized for election electing officers for the Republican Party. And so, Ron, um, is this email a right? Can ranked choice voting fix? Uh, is it is it possible that it's this powerful? I don't know. Um, I, I haven't read anything that would suggest to me it's 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 that powerful. But I don't want to undercut the significance of ranked choice voting. It, in almost ten years ago, the Supreme Court more or less gutted a central part of the Voting Rights Act. And since then, in a majority of states, we've seen efforts taken to make it harder to vote and to set up more barriers to the franchise. 
Maine is very special in the way that we encourage voters so much to participate by allowing people to, to register on the day that they vote, by having things like the, the semi-open primary, by um, cultivating an openness to unenrolled voters. And ranked choice voting is one of the measures that we take that allows people to register their intensity of preference that makes it feel like they're not just checking box one or box two. Um, and I have seen research that suggests that ranked choice voting is effective in that way, that if people feel like more of the nuances of their opinions will be heard, that more of their opinion will matter, that they're more likely to participate. And with the the franchise under attack in so many ways right now, that's just incredibly important. All right, Scott, and uh, thank you so much for your question. Secretary Bellows, I'm going to change tax uh, and not talk about elections for a few minutes because yesterday you made some big news by uh, revealing the new design of the standard state license plate, no longer a chickadee, but now a pine tree. Tell us about the decision to change it up. Why make that decision? Thank you so much. So a lot of folks think of the license plate as decoration or demonstration of Maine pride, uh, but the fundamental purpose of a license plate is public safety. It's vehicle identification, whether that is by law enforcement looking up drivers on the road or by the tolling authorities with the license plate readers, which are so commonplace, or by surveillance cameras if there is an incident. And so Maine's Chickadee is almost 25 years old. And as a member of Maine Audubon and an avid bird watcher, I love the Chickadee. That being said, in 1999, when we issued the Chickadee, we didn't have the technology to track and keep track of when people's license plates are issued. So we don't know whose license plates are 25 years old and no longer readable because they are gray or peeling or just completely dilapidated. Um, and if we had a campaign to ask Mainers to just turn in your old license plate and get a new one, I'm sure every law-abiding listener to the station would do so if they remembered. But those folks who are pretty happy not having a toll reader read their license plate <laughs> or scooting by without uh, notice on surveillance camera, the, the scoff laws and the like um, would probably not be so willing to do so. So license plate reassurances are common. Most states change their designs every five to 10 years. And uh, we did for public safety reasons, um, supported by the main state police, brought up a proposal to the legislature to change the design of the license plate and do a general reissuance. The outcome was direction from them to create a pine tree plate with a North Star and a plain plate option for those who don't want any design at all. And that's what we unveiled yesterday. Uh, it's a new license plate with a pine tree and a blue North Star, the pine tree's forest green. And it's lifelike was the request of the legislature, the transportation committee in a majority vote approved the design. And folks will be seeing it on the road starting May 1st of 2025. Now, yesterday we unveiled the design. This spring we'll be unveiling an online system so that people can reserve their existing number uh, online or at the BMV branches. And then uh, in a year, when people go to register their vehicles, they uh, will have the option of turning in their chickadee plate to be recycled, or they can. we're gonna allow them to keep it as as a memento, if they want to hang it in their barn or their home, uh, if they really, really loved that chickadee. Um, but they do, they are going to get a new general plate issuance and they can choose between the pine tree plate or the plain plate 
Uh, and of course, if they have a specialty plate, now some people have, love their lobster plates. Uh, that was a new specialty plate that came out of the old standard lobster plate of my childhood. Um, if, if you want to keep your specialty plate, whether that's balloon plate or the sportsman's plate or the veteran's plate, people will be able to keep their specialty plates. But for those of us who drive a regular standard, have a st standard plate on our cars, we'll be getting a new plate May 1st of 2025. So by May of, wait a minute, by May of 2025, we should see no chickadee plates on the road? Uh, forgive me, May of 2026, we'll see no chickadee plates. So starting May 1st, 2025, when you show up to register your vehicle on your generally appointed day, your appointed month, you'll be given a replacement plate okay. uh, with your spouse. Uh, and, and if you that whole year. And if you feel sentimental about your number, starting this spring, you could register to preserve your number. That's right. Oh my, you have thought of you've thought of it all, I think. And you know, Shanna, I think you've answered this question. I'm going to ask it again because one of my colleagues wants to know this. Uh, he writes, I was curious that the state police were in favor of the redesign. And she says, is it because so many are old and the numbers are worn off? So the answer is yes. Um, so the question, are we required to get our plates replaced if they get worn? Is there a penalty to, for worn plates? The law reads that the letters must be legible, but that doesn't spell out what happens if you let them fade. So for those people out there that know that their plates are faded right now, um, what should they be doing? So ideally you turn those plates in um, to the BMV branch and we can get you a replacement plate um, or you alert your municipal clerk or your BMV branch that your letters are faded and we can get you a replacement. Uh, <laughs> a news station did a story about uh, so faded plates and took a picture of somebody's plate and they called my office and they were like, I'm so embarrassed. Can I get a new plate? And the answer is yes. Um, similarly, I was at a bakery one day and the plate, the vehicle next to me, it was completely gray. You couldn't see anything on it. You couldn't even see the chickadee anymore. So I waited for the patron to come out and I said, would you like a replacement plate? And she said, yes. And we mailed it to her. Um, but uh, that being said, so you certainly can replace your chickadee plate, especially if it's all gray and it's dangerous because those plates lose their retro reflectivity. That's the, we think of it as shininess, but it's actually um, really important when a vehicle is pulled over on the side of the road at night or in a snowstorm, that retro reflectivity creates an immediate thing that people can see, even if the taillights aren't on, even if the vehicle's not on. And so it can be dangerous uh, to have a, a very faded plate. Now, remember, we have appointments at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles now too. So if you're like, gosh, I really want, I can't wait for May 1st of 2025 or for my registration date in that calendar year between May 1st of 2025 and May 1st of 2026, you could certainly replace your chickadee. William on Facebook asks a related question. How come people are driving around illegally without front plates, without being caught? Well, <laughs> you should be have your front plate uh, on your vehicle. Uh, and certainly um, that would be an infraction. And we definitely encourage everyone to have both plates. 
sometimes people don't always follow the law. You know, interesting fact with the registrations, last time we did a general plate reissuance when we went from the lobster to the chickadee, the state raised several hundred thousand dollars from people who hadn't registered. They've been sliding by hoping that law enforcement wouldn't notice that their stickers were expired. Well, it's pretty hard to slide by if you were supposed to replace your plate. Uh, so the state actually saw an increase, pretty significant increase in revenue at the time from people who suddenly had, were registering uh, when they probably should have been registering all along. All right. Well, we are talking about, despite this little interlude talking about license plates, we are primarily talking today about next Tuesday's primary, Super Tuesday presidential primary held in Maine, uh, a semi-open primary with ranked choice voting. Are you planning to vote in it? Especially, are you an unenrolled voter who just now is saying, wait a minute, I can en- I can vote next week? And, and I think I will. Give us a call, one 800 399-3566. Send an email to talk at mainpublic.org or comment on Facebook or Instagram. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You're listening to Maine Calling. We are discussing the Super Tuesday primary, which is a new primary system for Maine voters. Also, we're talking about other issues under the purview of Maine Secretary of State, including license plate. My guests are Secretary of State Shenna Bellows and political scientist Ron Schmidt. You can join our conversation. There is still time. Call 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org or if you're quick, post to our Facebook page or to Instagram. Ron Schmidt, uh, Super Tuesday, 16 states are voting. I remember that uh, four years ago, an incredibly important day for Joe Biden, now president, um, because of South Carolina. I've been poking around and it doesn't look as though any of the presidential candidates have any plans to stop in Maine between now and next Tuesday. Of course, that can change. Um, so I just wanted you to as a, put on your political science professor hat. Talk to us about the significance of Super Tuesday in 2024 and Maine's role. It, you know, Super Tuesday originally was designed to be sort of a coup de grace. It, it was thought up by a number of of elected officials in the South um, to come along fairly late in the process as a way to try to push particularly the Democratic Party more to the right. And over time, it's it's changed its purpose and it's become more of a an early indicator of who's going to be uh, the most likely leading candidate, if not definitely the most likely leading candidate. And I believe the idea for Maine is that going later in the process made our role in choosing among a variety of options feel less significant. Um, if we come in earlier, we get more of a chance to weigh in on more different alternate um, candidates. This year, that feels a little less compelling because we have an incumbent running for re-election in one party, and it looks very much like the last candidate from the other party is going to seal that nomination early. Um, you know, ideally, I think the, the idea was that you'd wind up with a situation where we were in the GOP maybe three months ago, where there's a bunch of different candidates and a, a large number of states are helping to steer the course of the election for everybody else. And I'm sure we'll come back to that again. I, I, I doubt we're going to keep seeing these sort of foregone conclusion primary seasons uh, much again in the future. So I it may not be that at this time, but it makes sense. An email here from Paul. I have been enraged by all the reckless conspiracy rumors about ballots cast early by voters who are legally dead or other fraudulent practices. How does one counter this claim? 
Please tell us how election officials verify the re or the registration process itself assures a cast ballot is not fraudulent in this regard. I love that question because I love talking about how free, safe, and secure main elections are. And in my collaborations with my colleagues across the country, I know that some of the best practices we do here from an election administration perspective also exist across the country. So a couple of things that folks should know. On election day, those poll workers checking in voters, monitoring the tabulators in the polling place uh, under main law are drawn uh, equally from both major political parties. So they're Democrats and Republicans uh, invited working at the polls as ballot clerks, election clerks on election day, and they're at the count. Um, with voter registration, Maine does require, including at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, where we're verifying uh, legal status and identity and residency, you do, when you register to vote, need to demonstrate proof of identity and proof of residency. Now, when ballots are issued, including for absentee ballots, clerks are meticulously matching the absentee ballot request to the voter list and then checking off those ballots. And there are checks and balances at every step in the process. So one very common sense thing, and I'll stop here because I could talk for a whole hour about the checks and balances that exist, but think about it. When you get that absentee ballot, you're getting an absentee ballot return envelope that the voter is completing with their contact information and they are signing it. The clerk can't accept absentee ballots that just show up in a drop box or show up in the mail. Every absentee ballot has to be in that absentee ballot return envelope, which has to match a valid absentee ballot request from a registered voter in good standing in that location. So that's what guards against, you know, these conspiracies that people have about ballot stuffing or busloads of voters showing up. Everybody at the point of registration has to demonstrate identity and residency, and everybody casting an absentee ballot uh, has to be matched to a voter requesting that ballot. Ron, thoughts? I did wanted to thank Paul for asking that question. I, the These conspiracy theories can seem silly, but they're actually potentially very dangerous to to the democratic process and to a shared sense of legitimacy and any chance that we can get to clarify how these processes really work is is just uh vital i will add in maine in 2022 we were number one in the nation in voter participation 75 percent of registered voters turned out to vote that's incredible it's a testament to mainers but next Tuesday, even though turnout is likely to be a lot lower, bring your mess selves to the polls. Those municipal clerks, those wardens, those volunteers, they have to do all of the same things that they do in every election next Tuesday. They're working really hard. They're working overtime right now to prepare. So, you know, show up with smiles and hugs and maybe some donuts or coffee. Give your municipal clerks some love. And Secretary Bells, it's sort of a testament to the... It's, it's unfortunate that I have to ask this question, but I will. Are there any concerns about security, safety at the polls? We are so lucky in Maine. We have excellent relationships with law enforcement. They work very hard uh, to be in close contact with election officials. And we've had free, safe, and secure elections here in our state, uh, 2022, 2023, 2022, 2020, all very safe and secure. So I really feel very confident as we move forward and uh, want to just give a shout out to our friends in law enforcement, both local and federal, who've worked 
with clerks on de-escalation training, on security training, uh, and uh, certainly on some polling location assessments and improvements in different places. Uh, and I think one of the other things that I wanna say is for folks who do have questions about the process, for whom election administration seems mysterious, sign up to be a poll worker. You need to be a registered voter and you need to live in the county where you volunteer. So if you call your town and they're like, oh, we've got tons of volunteers coming out of our ears, well, maybe there's another town in the county that needs, needs help. And if not for this election, maybe on June 11th, to see firsthand the checks and balances, the chain of custody and security measures that really safeguard our ballots, our equipment, and our people. Scott on Facebook has a question that I'm gonna to send to you, Professor Schmidt. He writes, I have become concerned about a potential Article 5 convention of states. Is there a movement in the legislature toward this in Maine? So you need to explain to us, please, what a potential Article 5 convention of the states is. If I'm if I'm correct in understanding what, what Scott's talking about, um, there is has been increasing talk over the last maybe 20 years about trying to, to stage a new constitutional convention. Um, and to, uh, well, it wouldn't exactly be a, a, a do over of 1787, but basically to try to, to, to craft new constitutional rules for the United States. Um, I, I think it's highly unlikely that we'll see that occur. Um, but, uh, it is a good thing to, to listen for. We'll go to Julie calling from Portland. Hi, Julie, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I, my question is. What safety protocols are in place to ensure that only citizens are given a ballot? All right, Secretary Bellows. Thank you so much for that question. So we keep a central voter registration system. That is all the voters in the state of Maine. And clerks, local clerks who are the registrars have to, um, when they are accepting the voter registration information, from a citizen, first people are checking a box that says that they're a citizen, they're affirming that, but they have to demonstrate their proof of identity and their proof of residency in the state. And then clerks issue a voter registration acknowledgement notice. And then on election day, there's an incoming voting list. Uh, this is also maintained when clerks are receiving absentee ballot requests. They're tracking very carefully who requests an absentee ballot, matching that to the list of registered voters. And then on election day, also tracking who's requesting a ballot against the incoming voter list. So ballots are not handed out to random members of the public uh, and voters are having to affirm that they are a citizen on the voter registration card and they're having to demonstrate proof of identity and proof of residency. Now, one of the things I love about automatic voter registration at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles is that we're already doing that work. We are, we are requiring people to show their legal status. They have to show their citizenship status or other legal status. And we are verifying that they're a citizen, verifying their identity, verifying their residency um, directly at motor vehicles. Uh, but there are checks and balances similarly in our online voter registration system. It's linked back to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. It's linked to the Social Security Administration. So they're behind the scenes checks as well. Julie, thanks for your question. An email from Roberta. I'm an unenrolled voter and even a poll worker here in Waterville. And I didn't know that I'd be able to vote next Tuesday until Secretary of State Bellows explained this. How is the message getting out to the general voting population that undeclared can vote on Tuesday? 
Well, this is why this show is so great, right? Um, and thank you, Jennifer, for hosting us. And I do think that it's a process. So certainly we did a press advisory. We've been doing earned media, but we don't have a television advertising budget to uh, run ads on TV, letting people know. So it really is uh, depending on our partners at Mean Public and other outlets to help spread the word. And certainly tell your friends and family members, uh, go on social media, express your excitement for the semi-open primary. And um, certainly I think for every voter, uh, going and voting on election day is, is part of participation in our de democratic society. It's what makes our country so, so wonderful. Ken in Portland is on the line. Ken, be super quick, please. We're getting close to the end of the program. Sure, the salient question I have is as a uh, independent or unenrolled voter, I understand about this coming Tuesday, but in June, would I have to enroll at that point to vote? No, you do not have to choose. You can, every election as an unenrolled voter, every primary, you choose whichever ballot you choose and, and that's fine. There will be a record of it kept in the voter file. Uh, so that is public information, but you can choose one ballot this election, primary election next Tuesday, a different ballot on June 11th. And then, you know, in 2026, if you uh, decide you want to, you know, you're staying unenrolled and you're staying independent, you want to choose a different ballot, that's okay too. Ken, thanks for your question. And Ron, we have about a minute left. Tell us um, what you'll be watching. What, what result are you most interested in seeing next Tuesday night when we tabulate main votes? I'm interested in seeing how much of an effect um, uh, the second district has on what what Trump's profile looks like. I'm interested in seeing if he still looks strong up in the second district. Um, I'm interested in seeing uh, what kind of a turnout Nikki Haley gets. Uh, and I'm interested in seeing what percentage of Maine Democrats and unenrolled voters voting Democrat support uh, President Biden. All right. Very interesting. I thank both of you for joining us for the hour. That was Professor of Political Science at the University of Southern Maine, Ron Schmidt. Also with us for the hour, Shanna Bellows, Maine's Secretary of State. Today's sound engineer was George Thomas. Maine Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. If you go to maincalling.org, yes, I'll repeat that, maincalling.org, you can find any past show. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter which is free and comes out every friday tomorrow on the program we're going to look at innovative ideas in maine's seafood industry i'm jennifer rooks and you've been listening to maine calling on maine public radio uh -huh.